wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes, 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 yes. For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there. Kane was there, too. Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw. This fight's right. It's Wrestle Rant Radio. What's going on, guys, and welcome to the five-year anniversary show of Wrestle Rant Radio. Your host, as always, Graham G. Matthews here. Hope you guys are doing well. And yes, it was indeed five years ago this week that Wrestle Rant Radio hosted its first ever episode on EC Radio, if you can believe that. Started out in a little shack of a room on my college campus talking about the latest happenings in the world of WWE. I think I broke down the Battleground pay-per-view. Um, it was fitting because I remember that as being one of the worst pay-per-views I have ever seen in my 10 years as a WWE fan. And that was one of the worst episodes of WrestleRant Radio I ever hosted just because I was not comfortable doing it. I did it on my own. The audio sucked. The material sucked. Everything about it sucked. And on the bright side, the show has come a long way since then. So thank you for your long-standing support of the show, dating back to 2013, whether you've been listening since that point or any other point since then over the past five years. I appreciate anyone and everyone who has ever listened to an episode of WrestleRant Radio, taken part in an episode, helped me co-host the show. You guys are appreciated more than you know. Um, cheap plug here, but it kind of blends into that. We are on iTunes. It's now easier than ever to listen to Wrestle Rant Radio. Be sure to like the show, um, you know, check out the show rather on iTunes, rate the show, subscribe to the show, review the show. You get every archived episode dating back to the very first episode five years ago this week, um, which was, again, awful, but you can check out the evolution of Wrestle Rant Radio exclusively on iTunes. Also on nextdaywrestling.net, all the episodes are up there as well. A lot easier to check them out on iTunes, though, so be sure to do that at your leisure. The new episodes are uploaded every single Thursday, today being October 11, 2018. Forgot to mention that, I believe, at the start of the show. Uh, we have a lot to break down here today from Super Showdown last Saturday, Raw, SmackDown, two very newsworthy episodes, and then a preview for SmackDown 1000 coming up in a mere five days on USA Network, a grand occasion and then my predictions for Bound for Glory, the latest Impact pay-per-view coming up this Sunday. So we have a lot to talk to and get to, talk about and get to here on today's episode of Wrestle Rant Radio. But before we get started, real quick, check me out on the socials. Find me on the Twitter machine at WrestleRant on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews on YouTube as well, YouTube.com backslash C backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews and also on Instagram at Instagramarmina at I-N-S-T-A-G-R-A-H-A-M-M-I-R-M-I-N-A. And like I said, NextDayWrestling.net hosts all my written reviews of everything that I watch in the world of wrestling from Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Main Event, Mixed Match Challenge, um, what was the other thing, 205 Live from WWE Super Showdown, including you know their, their, their latest pay-per-view from last Saturday, Super Showdown, Ring of Honor, Impact, 
I talked about the Death Before Dishonor pay-per-view a few weeks ago on Next Day Wrestling, as well as here on WrestleRant Radio, Bound for Glory. I'll have my written review up of that show on Next Day Wrestling, hopefully on Sunday night, if not on early Monday morning. Um, in addition to talking about it here on WrestleRant Radio next Thursday, Lucha Underground, All In, all that stuff in written form is now available on NextAirWrestling.net. So, um, yeah, it's, it was quite the newsworthy week in the world of wrestling this past week. We'll start out with my thoughts on Super Showdown, which I feel is kind of old news by this point, following the latest developments of Raw, SmackDown, and everything else going on in the world of WWE right now. Um, but overall, it was a solid show. Essentially what you would expect, which is why I will not spend a, you know, a long time talking about it, just because there's really not a lot to talk about when it comes to Super Showdown. It was a glorified house show essentially what everyone expected it to be. Um, On paper, it looked that way. There were a few promising matches, some of which did deliver. But overall, I didn't walk away feeling like this was worth four hours of my time. Thankfully, it was supposed to be five hours, which I think is what the greatest Royal Rumble was, and they cut it down to four hours. They had ten matches. Um, Some were better than others. There were some really, really good ones, some decent ones, and then some pretty bad ones. But I feel like it wasn't overly significant. Because everything significant, everything significant coming out of the show is either overshadowed by something that happened on Raw that Monday, or just set up for something else at Crown Jewel in a month. So overall, I did not think this was a stellar show, but it wasn't terrible. They started out on a high note though with the SmackDown Tag Team Title Match, the New Day uh, pitting the New Day against the Bar. Um, good match here. I mean, they've always worked well together. This was no exception. The Bar felt really underutilized since coming to SmackDown in the Superstar Shakeup. Glad to see them get a chance to shine here. They did not take the tag titles from New Day. I did not expect them to. New Day just won the tag titles in late August at the SmackDown show that I went to, so I did not figure they were dropping the championships here. It was a good match, though. I enjoyed it. They got an ample amount of time, made the most of it, kicked off the show on a high note with New Day retaining their tag team titles. For the SmackDown Women's Championship, we had Charlotte and Becky Lynch facing off in a rematch from Hell in a Cell. Um, another pretty good match. I thought their SmackDown rematch on Tuesday, a mere 72 hours later, was better than this. But it was still really good. I thought they worked well together, had a nice little match. They didn't go all out. I thought the finish was a bit lame. I mean, it was expected. I was fine with it because they kept the belt on Becky. Um, she got herself DQ'd by hitting Charlotte with the championship when she was in the figure eight. So it made sense. Becky got the last laugh in the end by attacking Charlotte on her way out, <clears throat> hitting her with a um, bridge suplex or whatever it's called. Um, over her shoulder into the um, barricade at ringside. So Becky walked out, still the SmackDown Women's Champion, despite the victory being awarded to Charlotte by disqualification. This was good. Again, a bit of a lame finish, but it was it, it made sense. Within the context of the story they were trying to tell, also helped set up the um, matchup, their rematch of the SmackDown Women's Championship on Tuesday, which we'll talk about momentarily, but this was good. We had John Cena and Bobby Lashley teaming up for the first time since 2007, we were told, when they took on Randy Orton and Booker T on an episode of Raw. Um, Here they took on Kevin Owens and Elias in what was, a lot like this show, a glorified house show main event. Any house show tag team main event you have ever seen, that's exactly what this was. Bobby Lashley took almost all the offense at the hands of Owens and Elias. It was fine. It wasn't a bad match. Just extremely predictable. And hardly exciting. Uh, finally, Lashley tags into John Cena. Cena hits all of his signature spots, takes out Elias, takes out Owens, hits the AA on Elias before hitting the sixth move of Doom, is what he called it. 
um, the Chinese, whatever the fuck it is. I know he debuted it in, like, Shanghai not too long ago when he was over there for a live event or in Japan or something like that. I think he's in China right now. I think it was a Japanese live event that he debuted the move at about a month ago. But yeah, that's what Cena won with. And then he cut a promo afterwards talking about, I don't know what my future holds. I'm always happy to be here. You know, one of your typical promos that would send the crowd home happy despite the fact this took place in the middle of the show. Um, But a pretty pedestrian John Cena promo. Um, The weird thing was that, again, he kind of played up the fact that he does not know what the future holds for him. Where does he go from here? I don't know when I'll be back. Well, sure enough, it was announced the next night on Raw. He's going to be taking part in the upcoming World Cup tournament in Saudi Arabia. So the promo is pretty pointless in retrospect. It's like, okay, he's playing up the speculation and the rumors that Cena might be done. He might be retiring from the ring and being phased down, which is true. I mean, prior to this pay-per-view, Cena had not been seen on WWE TV since the Greatest Royal Rumble back in April. And even that was, you know, one of these type of shows. It was a glorified house show. Beyond that, Cena has not been seen since WrestleMania, when he lost The Undertaker in two minutes. So, really, Cena has not been involved in any meaningful storyline since March. Since April or March, which is pretty crazy, but it's true. And now, again, that will not change come November, although he will be on the... Uh, crown jewel card competing in the world cup tournament it's not like he's back full-time feuding with elias or feuding with braun Strowman. he's just back for the world cup tournament i don't expect him to be brought back in a full-time capacity anytime soon probably not until wrestlemania season which honestly in my opinion that's fine by me if there's no reason for cena to be brought back if there's no money feud to be had with him right now there should be no rush in bringing him back i mean more star power the better but Raw and SmackDown especially do not need John Cena. Cena will not solve their current problems. Raw has a lot more problems than needing John Cena. Um, the fact that the show largely revolves around the Shield, Strowman, Ziggler, McIntyre saga, and nothing else is a bit of an issue. And yeah, we have the Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Undertaker, Kane shit going on right now, but that stuff likely will not last beyond Crown Jewel in November. So I don't even really count that. The Ronda, Nikki, the Nikki Bella stuff, eh. You know, I'll get to Raw in a second, but there's just not a lot on the show right now to sink your teeth into. Worth getting invested in. There's just a lot that's just kind of there. But um, anyway, so I thought uh, the match was okay. Seeing his promo was pretty pointless. And But yeah, to get back to my original point, that who else do you have Cena feud with? Like, that's the question right now with Cena. It's like, the next program that he's brought back for, I would hope is worth his time and worth everyone else's time because his last run with the company was not exactly stellar um he was back for a few months he, he came back for the royal rumble season through wrestlemania he failed to win the universal championship he failed to win the wwe championship so yeah he put a lot of people over and that's great and i'm happy he's doing that he put over nakamura at one point he put over roman reigns at one point but it was a short-lived program. You can't go back to Roman and Cena. What, to get have Cena beat Roman Reigns? What a, what a waste. You going to bring back Cena to defeat The Undertaker again? Going to WrestleMania 35? No thanks. To have Cena beat Undertaker and have Taker lose for a third time at WrestleMania? Again, who gives a shit? At this point, what does that even mean? To beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania at this point means nothing. Maybe if he only lost once and then Roman beating, for him, beating him for a second time would mean something. But the fallout was, was atrocious. The aftermath was atrocious. Roman does not mean any more now than he did two, three years ago before he beat Taker at WrestleMania because they have done nothing to make him feel special. That really should have launched him into the stratosphere of superstardom 
when it came to feeling like a larger-than-life superstar. And Roman does a good job of that more so than almost anyone else in the roster, regardless of what you think of his in-ring work and his mic skills and etc., etc. But they, they just doesn't feel special. WWE has done a poor job of making stars, Roman included. Because at this point, I don't want to call him damaged goods, because he's obviously still a very valuable asset to the company. But he should not. he's not the star that he should be, is what I'm trying to say. If they had easily just turned him heel a few years ago before turning him back babyface, we likely would not be in this predicament that we are in right now. Because right now, he's just a guy. He's the universal champion, but he's just a fucking guy. He's not bad, but he's no different than Seth Rollins or Dean Ambrose or even AJ Styles or Samoa Joe. These are all people that, despite being very, very good, do not feel special in the slightest. And Cena, I don't know why I went off on that tangent, but I think with Cena, it's like, to bring him back to, what, beat or lose to Finn Balor? Like, is that really going to do anyone any favors at this point? Yeah, maybe a few years ago, I think for AJ, it did wonders. After AJ Styles beat Cena twice, including once clean at SummerSlam, that did AJ a hell of a lot of good. Going on to become WWE Champion and reign as champion, be the face of SmackDown for the next few months before Cena came back and got his win back over AJ and won the championship. Yeah, that was a bit arguable. I'm not saying Cena should not have won the WWE Championship for a 16th time. The fashion in which it happened was pretty shitty. I mean, the match was amazing, him and AJ at the Rumble, but he dropped the championship two weeks later, like it never even really happened. And ever since then, Cena's been involved in nothing newsworthy at all. What, feuding with Rusev again? That was a feud who, that fucking sank. No one gave a shit. Feuding with Baron Corbin for a cup of coffee? That did nothing to benefit anyone. If anything, it buried Baron Corbin even more than he was before that. When Corbin lost the Money the Bank briefcase, thanks to John Cena. Losing at SummerSlam, thanks to John Cena. So this is not a Cena rant, but I'm just saying, like, what else do you bring him back for, aside from the occasional one-off at shows like the Super Showdown or the Crown Jewel? What else is there left for him to do? Aside from chasing the world championship, become universal champion for the first time, again, been there, done that with Cena and Roman. Maybe they are waiting for someone else to take over from Roman so they can do that feud or do, you know, do that storyline with Cena chasing his 17th title. I don't know, because right now there's no one on either roster that screams out to me as an obvious opponent for Cena at any point in the foreseeable future. Roman, been there, done that. Dean... Maybe Dean, you know, I always thought a Cena-Dean feud would have been cool a few years ago when they were kind of shooting on each other on Talking Smack. I thought that was some of the best work of Cena's career and Ambrose's career. And then it went nowhere. I thought they might do it at Survivor Series, but I don't know. Ambrose just kind of fell off the face of the earth until coming to Raw and reuniting with The Shield. On SmackDown, he kind of fell off the face of the earth after feuding with um, AJ in the fall of 2016. So Cena and Ambrose never really transpired. Um, Cena and Rollins, you know, been there, done that. Cena and Wyatt, where the fuck is Bray Wyatt? But regardless, been there, done that. Rusev, been there, done that. Randy Orton, been there, done that. AJ, been there, done that multiple times. I don't know. I just feel like with with Cena, it's just, I don't know. There's really no obvious opponent for him at this point in time. Taker made sense five years ago, ten years ago. They tried to do it earlier this year, and they did what they did because they knew they couldn't have a great match, or at least the caliber of a match that they probably could have had a long time ago. But at this point, I don't know what's next for John Cena. I really don't. I know he's coming back for the World Cup. He's obviously not winning. I would hope not. But after that, look, if he comes back for Survivor Series or competing in the Rumble again, which he's done a million times, beyond that, 
Is there really anything left for Cena to do? Like, okay, you know what? I'll say this. A Cena-Samoa Joe feud would be pretty cool. That's a feud that we have not yet seen before. I don't know how much it would mean at this point because Joe has now lost to AJ multiple times and has failed to win the both Universal and WWE Championships multiple fucking times. That's the only opponent from the active roster right now that I would want to see Cena face is Samoa Joe. Beyond that, I honestly could not care about Cena coming back to do another full-on program with a member of the current roster or someone from the old age, from the old guard, like a Taker or a Triple H or a fucking Brock Lesnar or whoever. I don't know. I think a Cena-Joe feud would be cool. But other than that, I would just keep Cena relegated to these international glorified house shows. Going right along here on Super Showdown, the Iconics knocking off Naomi and Asuka. Fine match. Honestly, really not that good. The Iconics, I was a little surprised. They did not get a bigger reaction than they did. But at least they won, so there was that. A no disqualification, no countout match for the WWE Championship. Yes, this was slotted in the middle of the fucking show. On a card consisting of 10 matches, the WWE title, I mean, despite the fact it was the only world championship on this show, did not even go on second to last or third to last. It went on 5 out of 10. That is atrocious. And the match was great, too. It's not like it was Jinder versus Yoshitatsu or some dumbass match that no one wanted to say. It was AJ Styles and Samoa Joe, a feud that's been helping carry SmackDown in recent months. Um, I don't know, I just thought it was weird that they were placed in the middle of the show. But the match was great. The storytelling was on point. The in-ring action was excellent. Both guys had very strong showings. Joe, in the end, had to tap out to the, um, whatever AJ calls the submission, the, uh, the calf crusher. Tapped out to that. Um, and AJ Styles, still your WWE champion. I don't know where you go with Joe from here either. I talked to, I talked about Cena for a good period of time a minute ago. What about Samoa Joe? I think a Joe Cena feed would be great now, but what do you do that? Survivor Series? I think that'd be a waste. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think a Joe a Joe Cena feud would be for the best because Joe really, I don't know. What else do you do with him? Him and Rey Mysterio, maybe, who I'll talk about momentarily. Him and Daniel Bryan. I think it would be amazing, but AJ's currently, or uh, Daniel Bryan's currently busy in the WWE Championship picture. You know, maybe him and Jeff would be a nice filler feed for the time being. I don't know. There's a couple different routes they can go with Joe um, that don't involve the WWE Championship. It is a bit of a shame because he should have held the championship at one point or another. Apparently, officials did not feel the same way. And uh, he just won't be winning that championship. He's not going to be holding that gold anytime soon, which sucks. But hopefully does not eliminate any chance of him becoming WWE Champion down the road. I know he's 40-something or late 30s or whatever, but there is still time. For Joe to be WWE Champion. The guy is good enough. He deserves at least one run as World Champion. Either on Raw or SmackDown. Uh, It may not have happened here. Although it should have. They must have a longer plan in place for AJ as Champion. But hopefully Joe will get his time when the time is right. Eventually. Ronda Rousey and the Bella Twins taking on the Riot Squad. Completely forgettable match. This stuff on Raw was more memorable than this. This was... The only thing really newsworthy about this. Aside from the fact that it was blatantly, painfully average, was that Ronda and Nikki argued at the start of the match over who would start off first. And that was about it. Beyond that, it was your typical six-woman tag team match. The the Riot Squad getting squashed again. The Riot Squash is what they should be called. In fact, Ronda decimated Liv Morgan and Sarah Logan by forcing them to tap out at the same time the first ever dual armbar. 
kind of a dumb looking spot, but it was something innovative. So I appreciate the uh, innovation. I appreciate the originality. But um, yeah, the Riot Squad are as meaningless and as, I don't know, as just as irrelevant as ever. Because they lost again on Raw in decisive fashion. That time with Ruby getting pinned, who could be something for that Raw women's division. But if she keeps on getting beaten like this, then she won't be. In the real match of the night, in my opinion, we had for the Cruiserweight Championship, Cedric Alexander defending against Buddy Murphy in his native Australia. He's from Melbourne, that's where the show took place. This match was fantastic. They weren't given a ton of time. God forbid they had to devote an entire hour to fucking Triple H and The Undertaker in the main event, between the entrances and the video packages and the match itself and the fallout and the aftermath, post-match shit, whatever. God forbid... We give the uh, Cruiserweights more than 10 minutes. But the match was great. I thought they made the most of the time. It was really exciting. The crowd was invested in the action. Um, Buddy Murphy is just a lot better than most people give him credit for. Because if you have not been tuning into 205 Live this year, and your last image of Buddy Murphy is him as a tag team guy with um, Wesley Blake, then you're really missing out. Because this guy is fucking awesome. And him and Cedric had an amazing match here. I thought they really worked well together. And an awesome, awesome, awesome match. And in the end, Buddy Murphy did what we all hoped he would in clinching the victory and becoming Cruiserweight Champion for the first time in his career to what was an amazing reaction. Probably louder than anything else in the entire show. So I love this a lot. And hopefully it kind of changed the opinions of um, uh, of officials on the Cruiserweights. I'm not saying you need to put them back on Raw. Honestly, I would rather have them off Raw. If Vince McMahon has nothing to do with that product, then I am completely content with that. I think if they're under the control and under the supervision of Triple H, they'll do just fine. Whenever Vince gets his hands on people like this, they are fucking ruined. Look no further than Enzo Amore and that whole mess of a storyline about a year ago. That shit was terrible. 205 Live has been a relevation ever since Enzo got released at the onset of 2018. Cedric, Buddy, Mustafa have been the three cornerstones of that cruiserweight division. And it was so cool to see them get the time they deserved on this show, have an awesome match, and have the result that it needed to have. With Cedric, I was thinking about it. What else do you do with him? Um, I was thinking maybe a bit of a mini feud with like Leo Rush to give Leo Rush a, a big win before he goes to the championship at some point down the road. But beyond that, Cedric has faced and beaten everyone. Has beaten everybody on that roster, including Mustafa Ali. He's beaten um, Drew Gulak. Cedric Alexander, I mean, he is Cedric Alexander, I'm sorry. Cedric Alexander has beaten Drew Gulak, he's beaten TJP, he's beaten Kalisto, he's beaten Mustafa Ali, Buddy Murphy. Obviously, you have the rematch, the rubber match. The first match took place in Cedric's hometown of, um, what was it, Charlotte, North Carolina. And then this match took place in Buddy Murphy's hometown of Melbourne, Australia. So, I'm sure a rubber match is only inevitable. Probably save it for an episode of 205 Live, which is fine. I would not do it at WWE pay-per-view because the crowd would not react the way I would want them to react. And the SmackDown crowds aren't much better, but, you know, I, I, I'm glad that they're at least paying attention to the matches and giving the time they deserve They deserve on episodes of 205 Live as opposed to the kickoff shows or the fucking, I don't know, the Survivor Series main card. Like, they'd probably get five minutes at most. But yeah, with Cedric, he's already beaten everybody. Buddy Murphy, Mustafa Ali, TJP, Drew Gulak, Kalisto, Hideo Itami, Tony Nese. Who else is there left for him to beat? The Brian Kendrick, Jack Gallagher. He's literally beaten everyone in that division. Aside from maybe Leo Rush. So I would do that match. I would do Alexander and Rush at some point. 
to kind of build up Rush. And at that point, I would get Alexander off the show. Hopefully by early 2019, I would put him on SmackDown. I think it should be a lot like 205 Live where you win the championship and then you can kind of move on to somewhere else. I would not have him win the title and just be bounced around the division. It's kind of a waste because what else can you do? He's already been champion now for six or seven months with Cedric. It's time to move on. There's nothing left from that in, in that division. He's been a part of the relaunched Cruiserweight division since the fucking beginning. There's nothing left for him to do. So I would put him on SmackDown, personally. I think Alexander mixing it up with AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan, Andrade Sin Almas. We had a great match with an NXT a few years ago. Um, those guys, Shinsuke Nakamura. I don't know. I feel like Nakamura, or I'm sorry, Alexander would be a great fit for the blue brand. 205 Live's been great to him, but you can only do so much. The guy chased the championship for like two years, finally won, had an awesome reign. He's since dropped it. I doubt he'll get it back in the rematch, which is bound to happen inevitably, which I'm looking forward to because it's going to be an amazing match, hopefully the best of the three. But what else do you do with him? Like, again, you can have him feud with Tony Nese, but again, been there, done that. He has faced and feuded with everyone on that fucking roster, except for Leo Rush. So beyond that obvious program, I'd move Alexander to SmackDown. And hopefully over there, he's given a chance to shine and not, you know, um, relegated to undercard duty because, oh, he's a cruiserweight, he's a, he's a loser. No, the guy's awesome. Alexander is excellent. And I think he would do just fine for himself on SmackDown. The Shield taking on Braun Strowman, Dolph Ziggler, and Drew McIntyre in the show in what was, you know, a pretty standard six-man tag team match. I enjoyed this a lot, though. Definitely one of the better matches on the entire show. I thought it had a great pace. Um, wasn't, you know, your Shield six-man tag team matches of old. But for what it was, I thought they all worked well together. They all had their time to shine. And the Shield went over. I would have put the heels over, but the heels ended up getting their win back on Raw anyway, so who the fuck cares? What what does it matter if 50-50 booking prevails? Again, huzzah. But anyway, with the Shield, I thought this was good. They did a good job of teasing the Dean Ambrose heel turn, which obviously did not happen. Um, nor will it happen anytime soon anyway. But I thought it was good. The crowd was into it. Um, all six star, all six stars that thought worked well together had strong chemistry, and the shield went over. So I thought this was enjoyable. I'll talk more about the rematch in my Raw review coming up shortly. Um, in a WWE Championship number one contenders match, this was a bit of a disappointment. Daniel Bryan beating The Miz in a matter of two and a half minutes with a small package. That is bullshit. For a few that has been so ruthless, so personal, so intense, dating back to fucking 2010... You would think they would have blown it off in a bigger, grander way. Now, that leads me to believe that the feud is not yet over. Based off what we saw on SmackDown this Tuesday, it looks like it's not over, which I'm happy with because they work well together. The feud's been great. The matches have been really, really good. Um, Daniel Bryan kind of needed the win because Miz won at both SummerSlam and Hell in a Cell, so Bryan kind of needed the win here. Just the fashion in which he won, I thought, was disappointing. Now... If they're thinking long-term, which they rarely do, so I hate to give them the benefit of the doubt, but I'm thinking that Brian won here clean in a matter of two minutes. I feel like they did, I, they did that, they had done that, because they want to save the real match between the two for WrestleMania. When Miz is WWE Champion, and Brian is the Royal Rumble winner. Now, I know Brian's going for the gold against AJ at Crown Jewel, and the match should be awesome. But I think Miz becoming champion instead of Brian tells the better story. Because you can say, okay, Brian beat Miz, but then Miz is now the WWE champion. So Brian deserves a shot. Miz won't give it to him until he goes through the Rumble and wins it there. 
So that's what I would do. That's the long-term story I would tell with Brian and Miz. But yeah, this was disappointing, but hopefully for the right reasons. Then the main event, a no-disqualification match we were told by JoJo this was between AJ, AJ Styles, Triple H, and The Undertaker. I'm too busy just talking about names I already talked about. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a very bad job of that today. I'm botching all over the place. But yeah, Triple H and The Undertaker. Probably would have been a lot better if AJ Styles was involved. This was no good. At least in my opinion. I thought it could have been a lot better than what it was. And we've seen a lot better between these two. The WrestleMania 28 match was one of the best matches all year. At least from a storytelling standpoint. Yeah, maybe it wasn't a five-star Matt Classic. But I don't know. I thought they could have done a better job of... Uh, making this exciting or compelling and nothing being on their line really, you know, that didn't really help at all. They got me excited for the match going into the event, but once the bell rang, it all fell apart. They they relied on way too many bells and whistles to make this thing entertaining. And the issue is that they had what was basically a tag team match here with the Brothers of Destruction taking on D-Generation X. And now that's what we're getting officially at Crown Jewel, but why would I care about that match when we essentially just saw it on this show. In Triple H1 after interference from Undertaker or and, and Kane multiple times. So they both interfered multiple times. Did Shawn Michaels and Kane. I don't know why the tag team match coming up next month would be any different. But um yeah, this was I don't want to say disappointing because I knew there was a I knew there was a pretty good chance that that um I don't know, I figured there was a pretty good chance that he wasn't gonna do well or that they weren't gonna have a great match. I don't know. I figured Undertaker wouldn't do well because he looked like shit the last time we saw him. The last few times, actually. And Triple H is Triple H. If he's in there with a nice, you know, a good enough wrestler, a nice opponent, then yeah, maybe the match is going to be good. But him and Taker, they did have chemistry. Not so much anymore. This was the drizzling shits. So Triple H goes over. They all celebrate afterward. Do the old respect shit where they all raise each other's arms. Then Taker and Kane attack Triple H and Shawn Michaels by putting them through tables at ringside and just choke slamming them and tombstoning them. So, obviously, setting up the tag team match for Crown Jewel. And I think the story they're trying to tell here is that, oh, the Brothers of Destruction, they're sore losers. How dare they do that? Shawn Michaels attempted to interfere fucking a million times during Triple H and Taker at Super Showdown. The interference was on an entirely new level. So how does that make Shawn Michaels and Triple H the good guys? That's my question. At this point, it doesn't even really matter. It really doesn't. They know people are going to cheer for Shawn Michaels when he steps back in the ring. I really wish I really wish it wasn't in Saudi Arabia. That's not a race thing. It's just the show's not going to be that good, I don't imagine. I can't imagine it being anything above average. So why waste what could potentially be Shawn Michaels' one and only match post-retirement why waste it in Saudi Arabia? That's that's my question. I would have saved it for WrestleMania. I know they're doing it for the money to get eyes on the product, but I don't know. It just seems stupid to me. It really does. It really does. I just think it's ridiculous. But um, yeah, so we'll talk about that right now, I guess. Monday Night Raw kicked off with D-Generation X reforming and challenging the Brothers of Destruction to a match at Crown Jewel next month. It's going to be Triple H and Shawn Michaels against The Undertaker and Kane on that show. Now, my question is, how much longer until they announce a no-disqualification stipulation for that match, too? Because those four are sure as hell not capable of having a straight-up wrestling match on that show. 
maybe 10 years ago for Shawn Michaels. I have no idea. I have no idea how much he can actually do in the ring. The guy's been sitting on the sidelines now for over eight and a half years. So I'm not sure what type of ring rust he's going to have. If I'm sure he's going to be working out at the PC ahead of this event. He's been a coach there for a while. So if he's there anyway, I imagine he's probably going to start getting in ring shape there before, um, before Crown Jewel next month. I'm not a fan of this. I don't want to go on a major rant about it. I'm just not a fan. And it doesn't help either that, yeah, the segment was good to kick off Raw this week and to get people talking about Shawn Michaels getting back in the ring. That's a big fucking deal, though. That's a really, really, really big deal. So why just throw it out there as if it's any other ordinary match? Maybe it didn't feel as big of a deal just because we all knew it was coming based off what we saw on Saturday and based off what was reported a few months ago. Maybe that's the reason why. But beyond that, I'm not exactly sure why this didn't feel bigger than it did. Shawn Michaels coming back out of retirement should be this grand occasion. Because the guy has been on the sidelines in a retirement now for close to a fucking decade. Him wrestling again should be like the second coming of Jesus. But it's like, okay, Shawn Michaels, he's wrestling. Like, man, nothing new. So now that we know what's happening, I'll say this. I hope it's more than a one-off. I would either keep him retired or come him, have him come back out of retirement for at least a few matches going into WrestleMania next year. That's what I would do. And none of those matches, by the way, with Shawn Michaels should be with The Undertaker. I, I honestly don't think they should be. I'm glad they're mixing it up here and they have that little chemistry and they can kind of rekindle that rival over here. It's a good way to kind of go down memory lane without doing another singles match. Because, okay, Shawn Michaels wins. What next? What's next? What, Shawn wins and Undertaker retires? Over my dead body. No pun intended. Taker's not retiring anytime soon. If he was going to retire, he would have done it a year ago. Or two years ago. Or ten years ago. The guy's not going away anytime soon. So I hope we... I really, 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 really hope we don't get Shawn Michaels and Taker one-on-one at any point um, in the next few months, if ever, again. Instead, I would have Shawn face off against AJ Styles. Samoa Joe, or Seth Rollins, or Daniel Bryan. There's a lot of different ways they can go with Shawn Michaels back in the um, back in the fold in WWE, back in the ring. I wouldn't just waste it on a meaningless tag team match and then be done with it. At this point, you got to go all the way, my man. You got to go all the way, brother, with Shawn Michaels wrestling as many matches as possible between now and WrestleMania, if not a little later than that. He's got to realize that, too. He already took the money. You can't go back into retirement. I mean, you can, but it's like, will it mean as much? Eh, not really. It won't. So, I would just... I don't know. I just I would just keep it at Sean and AJ. I would do Sean and AJ at Royal Rumble. Or WrestleMania. I think WrestleMania would be a better option. It is a WrestleMania-worthy match. It would give AJ a big rub. The match, I'm sure, wouldn't be amazing, considering that Michaels has not wrestled in a long-ass time. But it would be good enough. It would be good enough to kind of give AJ a major rub. And, um, I don't know. I think it'd just be a really good match and a good feud and a good storyline. So that's what I would want to see out of these guys. Uh, We'll see. Again, this is more of a we'll see situation where we don't really know a lot right now. Um, But that's what I would do. That's what I would do with Shawn Michaels to ensure that he's not wrestling just one match. I would have him come back for a few more than that, if only, you know, a handful. Not a lot, but like, you know, like three or four matches, if that. 
not including house shows and stuff like that. Also on the show from Raw on Monday, we had a double turn, finally, with Bobby Lashley and Kevin Owens. So the match itself was total throwaway. Nothing really out of the ordinary about it whatsoever. So don't think it's a, it was a great match. Oh, like, this was amazing. It, it was fine. It was fine. The real talking point, the real highlight, came afterward. When Bobby Lashley, ever the sore loser, capitalized on an injured Kevin Owens and went after both of his knees, smacked his knees into the ring post, seemingly writing Owens out of storylines for the foreseeable future. So also during the match, Leo Rush was on comment, not on commentary, he had a live mic, a la Abraham Washington. And may we not go back down that fucking rabbit hole with um, Leo Rush accidentally saying something that he shouldn't and then getting fired. I mean, he already did that about a year ago on Twitter, but this time for real, like something really, really bad. Like a rape joke in fucking Colorado with um, Kobe Bryant, I think, whatever the joke was. Kobe Bryant's like a, you know, he's like a, um, or, you, know, you, know, you know you know, what he said? Titus O'Neil's like Kobe Bryant in a Colorado hotel room. He's unstoppable. Awful. It was funny, but like in an offensive way. And I'm sure not a lot of people appreciated that. So the point is, the point is, is that um, I don't want Leo Rush to suffer a similar fate. So hopefully he can kind of tread lightly. And hopefully he doesn't have to talk at all during Bobby Lashley's matches. I think it's a good heat seeker. It's a good heat magnet to have. But it's more of like change the channel worthy than it is like, oh God, I hate this guy. Maybe a little of that too. But it would make me want to change the channel if I wasn't watching the show intently or reviewing it. So hopefully they kind of phase that down. But Bobby Lashley as a heel was so long overdue. The guy was a great heel in Impact, but they brought him in as a fucking babyface for some reason. Why? What reason, what purpose did he serve as a babyface on this roster? It's seeming like, it's starting to look like they're getting the hang of who should be heel and who should be face. I mean, Braun should be a babyface, obviously, but that won't be happening anytime soon, unfortunately. Bobby Lashley should have been cast as a heel from the get-go. Bobby Roode. They're turning both Bobbies, it looks like. Bobby Roode should have also been a heel from the get-go, and they fucked him up for a while. He could not mean any less than he does at the moment. So yeah, Bobby Lashley as a heel. Two thumbs up. I think it's great. We'll see where it goes. Him, Leo Rush, as a package deal, take my fucking money. I love that a lot. Kevin Owens, different story. I like what this does for him. I had read this morning that he might be taking time off, which is why he was written out of storylines here at the hands of the attack of Bobby Lashley. So we'll see uh, with Kevin Owens when he'll be back. I think it should be no more than a a week or two. The guy quit Raw, and then he came back the very next week. So if he's not on Raw fine next week, I assume he'll be back within two or three weeks. I don't know if he'll be in the World Cup tournament. I don't think he will be. But, um... Yeah, I like Bobby Lashley as a heel quite a bit. And I think Owens as a babyface could have some promise. We really have not yet seen babyface Kevin Owens in WWE. Yeah, maybe for an hour if we're really nitpicking at our Evolution TakeOver in December of 2018. That whole show is outstanding. But he came out as a babyface. He embraced the audience and he acted as a babyface. With... Yeah, I don't know. Just at this point, you know, he's not a full, he has not been a full-fledged babyface since then because he turned heel later on that night. And I think it's something it's something new, it's something fresh. Might as well give it a shot. 
I think he's a natural heel. I think there's no reason to not try it. Because what else is he doing right now? Feuding with fucking Bobby Lashley? Who cares? Like, you might as well try it now while you still can. So, even if he's off the TV for a few weeks, I'm hoping they get him back on track when he does return to Raw. He can undergo a babyface turn and then feud with Bobby Lashley, who's now a heel, apparently. So, I like that a lot. Ronda Rousey and the Bell Twins took on the Riot Squad once again on this show. Uh, totally, just total throwaway. Ronda Rousey once again picking up the win for her team by beating Ruby Riot. Again, like I said earlier, if you want to beat the Riot Squad, fine. Maybe not all the time. In that case, they look like losers. But if you want to have them do their own thing, that's fine. But I feel like with Ronda, I don't know. I just feel like with this Bella Twins feud, it's just not doing much for me. And the Ruby Riot thing is that once, you know, the feud's not doing much, it's going to end by evolution. With Ruby Riot, they're going to need her when the Bella Twins are gone. Regardless of whether, you know, how good the feud is and whatever, how good the matches are between Nikki and, and Ronda, Ruby Riot deserves to have a cemented spot on that roster because she's that good. But she's only really brought in recently, been brought in recently to fucking job to Ronda Rousey and the Bella Twins. They'll beat Sasha Banks and Bailey every time they clash, but. She can never, ever get a victory over Ronda Rousey, nor should she, at least not right now. But what I'm trying to say is that Ronda is here every week. The Bella Twins are, I guess, for now. I don't think they'll be back full-time after Evolution. So with the Riot Squad, they need to be built up and to be made to mean something in order for people to take them seriously. And that's not going to happen as long as they're losing to the fucking trio of Ronda Rousey and the Bella Twins every single week on Raw. The heel turn I thought was well done, though, with Nikki going heel, setting up the Evolution match with um, Ronda Rousey taking on Nikki for the Raw Women's Championship. I like that. I don't think it should main event. Probably will main event because they're two big stars. Whatever. Personally, I would put Charlotte and Becky on last. That's what I would do. Because I think those two women are going to kill it, make the most of that last woman standing stipulation, and really do an amazing job of, um, I don't know, just making people care. So, we'll see. With, with Nikki Bella as a heel, they make me care a little more than I did before. I don't know how long this is going to last, until Evolution, until afterward. I'm not really sure. But I do think that they can have a better-than-expected match-slash-program in the weeks leading up to the pay-per-view if they play their cards right. Um, with Ronda Rousey, she is what she is. She's been booked very well by and large in WWE. Hopefully Nikki losing to her will give her even more of a boost than she already had before. But beyond that, who else is there for Ronda to defend against in the months ahead? Maybe Natalia turns on Ronda at some point. Um, Nia Jax, maybe go back to that. Ember Moon. The Riot Squad, Dana Brooke, no. Alicia Fox, no. Alexa Bliss, been there, done that. Maybe Banks or Bailey. that can be, you know, they can be built up to that point. Maybe to face Ronda, because right now they mean nothing. They mean absolutely nothing right now in WWE. So, we'll see. We'll deal with that when we get to it. But for the time being, uh, they really need to focus on making more women matter on the show than just Ronda and Nikki Bella. Even Brie Bella feels like an afterthought. That as much I don't really care about just because she sucks anyway and really should not be doing anything of note. But I digress. The next thing on the show... Talking about people not doing anything of a note. Finn Balor and Bailey taking on Jinder Mahal and Alicia Fox. 
Total waste of time. Yes, they hyped up the Mixed Match Challenge. Who the fuck cares? Who cares? I don't care. I like Balor. I like Bailey. I'm not into this thing. I like their little cute couple thing they got going on here, but it's not leading anywhere. That's the issue. Balor has no apparently intentions of going after the Intercontinental Championship or chasing the Universal Championship. What else is there for this guy to do? I don't know. So this is kind of a waste of time. They got to find things for him to do. Put him with Bobby. They tease something like that on Raw this week. So maybe it's going to be Finn Balor and Bobby Lashley on next week's show to further cement Bobby Lashley as a heel. I don't know. But um, yeah, for right now, I'm really disappointed with how they've been utilized on Raw because they they're not involved in anything significant whatsoever, and they deserve way better than that. Kurt Angle resurfaced after a two-month vacation from Monday Night Raw, revealed himself after uh, in, in the El Conquistador costume during a global battle royal to qualify for the WWE World Cup at Crown Jewel. So glad to see Kurt back. Obviously not the Raw GM anymore, but who said he can't be a part of the active roster? I think that was the rumor a couple months ago that I believe, I believe unless I'm wrong, um, that with Angle that there were reports that he could be stepping back in the ring. And that's why they took him off of TV so he can go train and get in the best shape of his life so he can wrestle again. And, um, you know, and, and do that and not just be Raw GM. So hopefully that's the case. I'm not saying wrestling every fucking indie show on the weekends or wrestling every single Raw and whatever. I think with Angle, the guy is good enough where he can wrestle only for the big shows. And not the big show, but wrestle for big shows like Super Showdown and pay-per-views like Survivor Series, Rumble, WrestleMania, etc. Because as it currently stands, he has not wrestled a ton. And what I've seen so far from Angle has not been great. He looked good on Monday, though, in revealing himself as El Conquistador. So, Balor, or rather, Angle and Corbin is not a few that can really get behind at any point. But at least Angle's back on the show. And that's always a plus. Ember Moon taking on Nia Jax in apparently a contest of friendly competition. I don't know what the fuck this was. A waste of time, even. Uh, they really just did... I don't know. They did nothing to make me care about this match or either one of these women. The match was skippable, which is being generous. It was not that good. I'm glad Ember won by countout. But beyond that, I mean, I don't know. What else can we say about these two that we haven't already said before? I feel like with these two... Oh, my computer's going off here. I feel like with these two, they've already done everything they can possibly do. Nia Jax, I mean, at least with Nia. She's gone after the Raw Women's Championship. Ember Moon, she's already faced the Riot Squad a million times. They've done everything they can do with her without having her go for the championship, which is currently being is, is currently in the possession of Ronda Rousey. So she's not losing that thing anytime soon. That's the thing. That's that's what I don't really get with um, Ember Moon. So I don't know what else you do with her beyond having her face fucking Nia Jax or Alicia Fox again because people don't really care. I don't know. I like Ember Moon. I think she could be doing a lot more than um, what she's doing right now. But... Still, hopefully they can find something for her to do because she's a lot better than facing Nia Jax in completely pointless matches. Lita also resurfaced on this show to aid out, or to aid, um, to help out, aid out, help out Trish Stratus and aid her against Alexa Bliss and Mickey James. There we go. Um, after Alexa Bliss and Mickey challenged Trish to a tag team match at Evolution, combining two matches in one, I thought this was a good idea. I really did. I thought they um did a good thing by having that turned into a tag team match because, I don't know, I feel like the two singles matches really did not do anything for me whatsoever. 
Lita versus Mickey, who cares? Trish Stratus versus Alexa Bliss, eh. The match probably would not have been that good. Won't be an instant classic either way, but this should be much more tolerable. You get to see Mickey and Trish in there. That, that should be cool. I'm looking forward to it. Bobby Roode and Chad Gable once again taking on the fucking Ascension for the fifth fifth week in a row, sixth week in a row, something like that, something ridiculous. They win, got attacked by AOP immediately afterwards, so any shred of momentum they got was immediately erased by AOP, which is fine. They're starting to heat up again. I like that, but they got to cut to the chase with Roode and Gable, have them lose to AOP next week so we can finally move on and have Bobby Roode turn on Chad Gable and we can move on with Roode as a heel on Raw because otherwise it's getting more and more and more difficult to care about Chad Gable and to care about Bobby Roode. It's also asked backwards that they would beat the Ascension at their own game in a tag team match, which is what the Ascension specialty should be, only to lose to Connor back-to-back weeks. Considering that Bobby Roode is a former NXT champion, does not exactly speak too well to his future in the company, which I went on a major rant about last week, so check out that episode for more on that. Main event saw Braun Strowman, Ziggler, and McIntyre team up once again to take on the Shield. An even better match than what we saw on Saturday. The heels did go over here. Um, I like this a lot. The Shield once again teasing tension with Dean Ambrose walking out on the na- walking out on them afterward. He won't te- he won't turn on them anytime soon. They're still very early on into the Shield run. They're not going to split them up. They're not going to turn Dean heel. Not right now, anyway. There's still much more to be made, money to be made with the Shield in their reunion run. To split them up two we- two months after they initially reunited would be a dumbass idea. So, Strowman, Ziggler, McIntyre picking up the win as they should have with, I believe, McIntyre pinning Ambrose? It should have been Strowman beating Roman. Because he's the one getting a title shot at the next pay-per-view. Not fucking McIntyre. Not Dean Ambrose. It's Braun Strowman. So, I'm hoping that they can heat him up again in time for Crown Jewel. I don't think he's winning. I think Roman winning is only academic. But if they really want to make people think that Strowman is a threat to that Universal Championship... They would have him pin Roman Reigns, which they didn't do, but at least he won. SmackDown, real quick here. i got a bunch of stuff to talk about. We only have about 10 15 minutes left. SmackDown from Tuesday I thought was a really good show. Kicked off on a high note with a almost 30-minute SmackDown Women's Championship match between Becky Lynch and Charlotte. Easily their best match yet. This was great stuff. Got multiple commercial breaks, a lot of time at the start of the show. Uh, went to a double countout. So, Becky, the stipulation here was that if Becky got herself disqualified, she would have lost the championship. She didn't get DQ'd, so she held on to the gold. And, um, yeah, we got a rematch set for Evolution coming up later this month, a last woman standing match for the first time ever in WWE's main roster history. And I got to note that because they did do one before in NXT about a year ago, really randomly, but it was a great match, so no complaints, between Asuka and Nikki Cross on an episode of NXT TV for the NXT Women's Championship. And that was a great match. Becky and Charlotte have their work cut out for them, but if anyone can make that stipulation work, it sure as hell them. So good stuff there. Jeff Hardy taking on Samoa Joe to qualify for the World Cup later on. Uh, or it's going to say later on this month. It's actually in early November. But um, yeah, so Jeff Hardy is moving on. Samoa Joe was hurt. The match was stopped by the referee. So they're telling a story here with Joe. I don't know where he goes from here or who he feuds with. Maybe, as I said earlier, maybe... um. Jeff Hardy, they can always go back to this because Jeff Hardy did not defeat Samoa Joe. He won, but he never pinned Samoa Joe. So they can always go back to that feud. They can have Joe feud with Rey Mysterio, who I'll mention in a moment. 
They can have him feud with Daniel Bryan if Bryan's freed from the title picture. Maybe around Rumble season, I think that'd be a good time to do that feud. But um, yeah, other than that, I'm not really sure where Joe goes from here. The Miz hosted Miz TV with AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan. This was very entertaining. Shoot TV is what it should have been called. With Miz running down both Bryan and AJ saying that, you know why this championship, you know why the WWE title hasn't headlined the pay-per-view this year, AJ? Look in the mirror. It was like, woof. That's a uh, real shot, real shot in the nuts there from The Miz towards AJ Styles. I thought that was great. Made me really excited for what should be a triple threat match for the WWE Championship at Crown Jewel. Or, you know, it should be a triple threat match on that show. I imagine they'll likely save it for Survivor Series the very next month. But uh, yeah, that was a great, great segment. Immediately afterward, AJ knocked off Shelton Benjamin one-on-one. Very good match from them. Rusev interrupted Aiden English's uh, rest of the One Night in Milwaukee segment, which was, of course, surprise, surprise, a ruse. And Lana did not say any of the stuff that Aiden English implied that she said. So the angle was pretty basic. I didn't think it was bad, but it was by no means exciting or compelling. And the only thing this did was set up a match that no one gives two shits about, pitting Rusev against Aiden English. And uh, speaking of matches, I did not give a shit about Randy Orton taking on the big show in his grand return to WWE TV, his first match since being laid out by Braun Strowman in that steel cage match in September of 2017. So yeah, Big Show has not wrestled in over a year, which probably the longest he's ever stayed out of the ring in WWE, so it's pretty impressive. He lost here, did the job clean to Randy Orton as he should have. Orton's on fire right now. The match was really not that good. Hey, you know what, though? It was better than that shit fest. That, that giant pile of poop that I watched at, um, what was it? Survivor Series 2013. So happy I was not at that show. I almost went, and I did not. Um, I was in Boston at that time. I think I was going to school at that point. And I was like, oh, it would be so cool to, um, you know, go to Survivor Series. I'm in the area anyway. And it would be cool to go to Survivor Series. I had not gone to a pay-per-view by that point. Very glad I did not go to that show. It sucked. It was absolutely awful. So, I'm glad I did not go to that show. This match was much better than that. Anyway, um, that was SmackDown. Randy Orton and Jeff Hardy adding their names to the list of people qualifying for the World Cup tournament, also including John Cena and Kurt Angle. Might as well be called the fucking Ruthless Aggression Era Tournament, but I digress. Um, Good show on Tuesday. Speaking of Tuesday, SmackDown 1000 coming out this coming Tuesday on the USA Network. A lot of stuff advertised only in the last couple of weeks. They really should have taken more time to advertise more people for the show and more segments and matches and shit, but whatever. Uh, better late than never. Edge and The Undertaker will be there, two people that really helped make SmackDown what it was or what it is today. So I'm glad they'll be there. I don't know what Taker's doing, but um, Edge will be there to host the cutting edge. Maybe it's with The Undertaker. Who knows? To talk about the Crown Jewel matchup coming up. I'm sure that's why Taker's going to be there because he's going to be at Crown Jewel in um, early November. But yeah, um, Edge really helped make that show what it is today. Both him and Taker. I actually got into SmackDown when Edge and Undertaker were feuding in uh, 2008. Ten years ago. Over ten years ago. So and it's going to be a nice trip down memory lane when they uh, maybe not interact. But they did interact on the 900th episode of SmackDown, which was cool. Um, I think it was the cutting edge on that show, too. And Taker crashed the party. So, yeah. Uh, maybe we see something similar on Tuesday. Evolution also reuniting, not the women's pay-per-view, but rather the all-men's faction. With Batista, Triple H, Ric Flair, and Randy Orton. 
I hope it's more than just a one-off for Batista. I really hope he's there to set something up. I don't think he's the type of guy that would show up for a paycheck in his hometown. I would hope he's there to set something up for a WrestleMania match, either with Triple H or someone else. Um, that would seem to make the most sense. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the Evolution reunion. Even though they never spent a fucking day on SmackDown. Not one appearance on SmackDown. Though they're reuniting at SmackDown 1000. Bizarre, I know, but whatever. Um, Rey Mysterio will be taking on Shinsuke Nakamura. It was reported on Tuesday that Rey Mysterio will not only be returning to WWE next Tuesday, but he's coming back full-time. And he's being um, advertised for several live events in the next couple of weeks, so that's great news. Taking a Nakamura in his first match back, take my money. That sounds like a lot of fun. And hopefully Mysterio wins, he qualifies He qualifies for the World Cup, and then um, we get Rey Mysterio Nakamura for the United States Championship. I think that'd be a great feud. Um, over that title to make that championship, you know, kind of return to relevance. So we'll see. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to Rey Mysterio Nakamura on Tuesday. Evolution coming back as well as Edge and The Undertaker at SmackDown 1000. Finally, my quick predictions for the Impact Bound for Glory pay-per-view. Said I would at the start of the show predict my, uh, give my predictions for every match in the card. And I'm going to do that very quickly here just because I don't really have too much to say about each match. It does have promise. It does have a lot of potential on paper here to be a great show. Um, Impact has really reinvented itself um, since um, the change in ownership earlier this year. This is their biggest test to date. It is their biggest show of the year. Slammiversary, I thought, was great. Easily one of the best Impact pay-per-views I've seen in years, probably since 2012 or 2013. That's how good that show was. Um, so I'm hoping they can have an equally entertaining event on Sunday. Let's see, let's look down the card here. Um, also, real quick, I think Allie and Sue Young will likely be added to the show. Impact is yet to air as of this recording, as of me recording this show. So I assume Allie and Sue Young will be also on the card. It is yet to be announced, but I'm sure it will be announced at some point. It has to be, based on the last couple of weeks of TV. Matt Seidel teaming with Ethan Page to take on Rich Swan and a mystery partner. They'll likely bring in some sort of, um, you know, big surprise. I guess I could see it being like Taji Ishimori or... I don't know. I'm not really sure who else there, it would be. Uh, Trevor Lee? Like, I would assume that if, it's, if they're not going to advertise them, then it's got to be a good surprise. I don't know who it would be, but I hope it's someone good. So we'll see. But I'm looking forward to it. I think of the two, Rich Swan's team will win. Because Seidel beat Swan recently on Impact TV, so Swan will likely get his win back here. Uh, for the Impact Knockouts Championship between Tessa Blanchard and Ty Valkyrie, um, this should be very, very good. Taya just came back. She's in Mexico. It'd be a cool moment if she won. Tessa just won the title. I would keep the belt on Blanchard. She just won the belt a few months, uh, about a month ago. It would be way too soon to take that championship from her. So keep the belt on Blanchard. She's my pick. Eddie Edwards and Moose going one-on-one. I thought this was a grudge match. That's what it's being billed as, but I don't think it's no DQ. Because we already have one of those with the LAX versus OGs match and the OVE versus Lucha Brothers and Brian Cage match. Because it's like OVE rules or something like that. So I don't think this match will get a similar treatment. But it should be good. Um, It really doesn't matter who wins. I'll say Moose. I think Eddie Edwards doesn't really need the victory. Moose just turned heel. They can have the feel-good moment with Eddie winning. But I think this is only the start of the feud. So I'll have Moose win here. OVE versus Lucha Brothers and Brian Cage. Um, I'll go with Lucha Brothers and Brian Cage. I mean, OVE could win here. It would only um, prolong the feud. Pentagon won their first match. Sammy Callahan won the second match. It's time to blow. It's time to blow this thing off once and for all. I think with Brian Cage and Lucha Brothers emerging victorious, 
hopefully leading to a Pentagon Jr. and Brian Cage match for the X Division Championship. It's very disappointing that the X Division Championship won't be defended on this show. It should be. It won't be. Whatever. Probably the first Bound for Glory ever where that has not been that where that's been the case where the Impact Knockouts or um, X Division Championship rather has not been defended on the show. Bit of a fun fact for you, but um, should be a great match nonetheless. LAX versus the OGs for the Concrete Jungle in a Concrete Jungle death match. No titles on the line here either. So no X Division Championship match. No tag title match either. Very strange. But this should be great. They've done an amazing job of building up this feud on Impact TV through vignettes and promos and matches. This should be awesome. A lot of long-term storytelling on this show. Because OVE had their thing with Pentagon back at Slammiversary, which was in July. And LAX and the OGs had their match back in July too. And the two feuds are still going on because they're that good. Um, I think LAX has got to win here. I mean, maybe OGs to kind of even their odds and because they lost at Slammiversary. But, I mean, the feud's got to end. I'm not sure if you can get much more vile or aggressive or intense than this. So I think LAX goes over. Then in the main event, Austin Aries and Johnny Impact for the Impact World Championship. I think Johnny Impact, it's his time. Austin Aries has been champion now for months. He initially won the belt back in, well, I mean, years ago. But like when he regained the gold upon returning to the company, it was like back in February, March maybe. I think it was back in February. So maybe late January. Um, so that being said, Aries has been champion for a long time, on and off. Um, there's no reason to not change the championship here. He's beaten everyone on that roster for the most part. Impact, it's his time. He's gone for the belt before. He's lost almost every fucking time. He was in the main event of last year's Bound for Glory against um, Eli Drake and lost. So I think it's time for him to win the championship finally. If he doesn't win here, he's probably never going to win it. So if you want that feel-good moment, Impact's going to win here. I think he's got to win here. And um, yeah, he's my pick. Speaking of Johnny Impact... I'll be conducting it after this is already recorded and up and published, but this Thursday, today, um, depending on when you're listening to this, I will have talked to Johnny Impact for 10-15 minutes, all about Bound for Glory. So stay tuned for either for that article or for the audio to be posted. Not here on WrestleRant Radio, it'll be old news by next Thursday, so I'll save it either for the YouTube channel or for an article on Daily DDT or both. So stay tuned for that. I'm looking forward to talking to Johnny Impact about all things Bound for Glory and Impact Wrestling. And that does it, guys. That wraps up the hour here on WrestleRant Radio. Thank you for checking out the show as always. And like I said at the start of the show, thank you guys for helping me get to five years worth of the show. I appreciate your support. Your amazing support has helped WrestleRant Radio stay the course and survive five years. I very rarely miss a show. I know there was a period where I didn't do a show for a few weeks when I was in school, because I could only do the show when I was on campus. So there was a period where I had to stop doing the show for a few weeks, because um, I think it was like Christmas break or something like that. So I don't know, but yeah, um, no more. We do the show every single week now for you guys right here on WrestleRant Radio on Next Day Wrestling as well as on iTunes. Simply search up Apple Podca- on Apple Podcast WrestleRant Radio, review the show, rate the show, subscribe to the show. New episodes are uploaded every single Thursday. You get every archived episode as well, dating back to October of 2013, five years ago this week. So check out that first episode, laugh at how bad it is. Then get back to me on the socials, at WrestleRant on the Twitter, on Facebook at Facebook.com, backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, and on YouTube at YouTube.com, backslash C, backslash Graham GSM Matthews. So we'll be back next 
Thursday right here in WrestleRant Radio, forgetting what day of the week it is for a moment. Uh, we'll be back next Thursday talking all things Impact Bound for Glory and all the latest happenings in WWE, including my review of SmackDown 1000, which hopefully lives up to the hype and is a great show. Until then, guys, have a great rest of your week slash weekend. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road. Now,